I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Blood Podcast. A little bit different today. I know we didn't release on Friday. I wanted to wait until the Saturday because I was very, very sad on the Friday, as my boy, Mr. Will Weir, was very, very sad on the Friday. However, we are joined by somebody that was the opposite of sad. If you follow me on Twitter, you would have seen his mockingly happy laugh, is what I would call it. He's, uh, he ha- he's had some rough years. He's had some rough years. A good friend of mine, Mr. Jonathan Macri. John, man, thanks for joining the show, bro. I, it wasn't a mocking laugh. It was a. Uh, it was a. What did we just witness? Laugh. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to process that that game. I certainly didn't know how to process that ending. Um, and it was also kind of crazy because I was doing a live watch along for the game and uh, with a you know a room full of Knicks fans and just like kind of talking through the game and like there was obviously some lows early on and then there was some highs. So that was just kind of my reaction to the whole thing. I mean, my reaction was very different. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My reaction was one of a, so like like picture this, yeah. I wake up, I have no notifications on usual, usual jig. Everybody knows the way I operate now. Yeah, there's people on WhatsApp, I think, will message me, maybe. Uh, my buddy Tim messaged me. My buddy Brendan messaged me. And basically, everyone was like, man, just try and have a good day. That was basically <laughs> the gist of things. So I'm like, what happened? So obviously, you go, I'm like, I can't wait now. So I check the scores. I'm like, oh, okay, so it was a loss. You know, I can deal with a loss. Like, I've been dealing with them all season. Things, I'll be okay. And then I watched the game, and I didn't deal with it very well. I was uh, it was very very hurtful. Will, how were you feeling with it? Well, it ruined my night. My my today has been okay. I've kind of gotten over it. But last night it was you know, and it, it, last night going through the emotions of it, I, I watched back some of the game this morning because for some reason I'm a glutton for punishment. And you know, I was looking back, and really when I started to get that feeling of, and I know the Knicks fans have experienced this too. It's just been this up and down chaos of a season. And, you know, unmet expectations. I think both of our seasons could kind of be titled that. And it was that 10-2 run at the end of the first half the Knicks went on when they kind of rewoke up Madison Square Garden. And that's right then when I knew I had the sinking feeling that that was going to be a big moment. And even though the Celtics got the lead back up to 20, as a Celtics fan that's seen this over and over and over again, I knew that was going to be something that I'd harken back to. And then it happened again at the end of the third quarter and – you know, the rest is history. But it was, uh, it, it was a tough watch. It was tough feelings. And the post-game press conferences did little to help. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you guys obviously could speak more to that um, than I could. I mean, I, I read the quotes. I didn't um, see the video of uh, Udoka. But it, it seems as if um, in a season full of some, shall we say, interesting post-game press conferences in, in uh, Boston, uh, that one, did it take the cake? I don't know. You guys tell me. I, I mean, let me jump into this real quick, Adam. The answer is yes, because it it, okay. it absolutely did. It, it, and it's a buildup to it, though, Jonathan. It's like it's we've heard a lot of those same answers. You can, you know, copy and paste those those responses and you can insert them to, you know, six different games that have happened throughout the year. And it's been the same answers. 
But this time, it I mean, it, it just boiled over, because especially when you put on top of it the back-to-back against the Spurs the night before, where there's a yep. lot of similarities that happened. <clears throat> I think last night was certainly a tipping point, at least from Celtics Twitter, looking at the reactions to, to Ime. Last night was definitely a tipping I mean, for me, it was like, okay, so the best way I can describe it is, you know what, like when you're watching a comedy sketch and some dude's behind behind the desk and he's giving a press conference or he's having a briefing during a meeting, then he stands up and he's just in his boxer shorts and then you get the clown music. <laughs> and that was it. Like, I was waiting for like the for the punchline, but the punchline was in Mayudoka. Um, I was um, I'm really not impressed, dude. But somebody that's impressed you, ex-Celtic, well, impressed you last night. He hasn't been impressed. I read your <laughs> newsletter quite regularly. Um, yeah. Mr. Evan Fournier, man. Uh, what, what's going on, dude? Have you spoke to Fournier? Have you asked him why is he continually oh, yeah. hurting us like this? Yeah, we're, we're old pals by now. Uh, <laughs> I think I, you know, it's so funny because, uh, you know, you create enough content um, in written and, and spoken form and you have to try to um, find different ways to say things. Uh, over the course of a season and I forget what it was a game in the last 10 days for sure I want to say it was even in the last week where Fournier just had a game where forget the fact that I think he was like one for eight or oh for whatever I don't even know what it was Um, but the the effort uh, and I, I use that term with some big air quotes big air quote energy effort on the other end of the court was not uh, exactly where you'd want it to be and I just came right out and said during the post game I'm like just you know, f you, Evan Fournier, and I, I, I did, I, I, I was not, I, I said, I said the whole word, but I won't say it on here. Um, I've just, it's been such a frustrating season, and, and in some ways, last night was the best example of why it's been such a frustrating season because anyone who's watched him over the course of his career, not only in with Team France, but like in Orlando at times, and and in Boston for a brief period last year. Like, we know that this guy is a baller when he wants to be, you know, in every sense of that word. What do they call it? Like, a real hooper? Like, Evan Fournier could be a real hooper when he wants to be. (laughs) And it has been evident to me this year, at least, that that desire has not been there um, on his part. And I don't know if it's, you know, internal issues with the team or whatever the case it may be. But but what we saw last night, it it was almost like a... I, I mean, it was a great, it was an amazing game. Don't get me wrong, but it was almost like a slap in the face. Like, dude, we know what it looks like when you could, when you when you make it a point to play this way. And he played as because it's not just about him hitting shots, as you guys well know. It's his whole demeanor on the court, the way he was defending. I know Jason Tatum had a great game, but the way he was defending Jason Tatum last night was like, man, come on, you can do that whenever you want. Just why don't you do it more often? So I'm interested to know a little bit more because it sounds like for you it's it's really just a mindset with Evan Fournier. You know he's been killing the Celtics when we, when we played uh, played you guys this year, and I don't know. I guess just it's inexplicable. Can't can't really defend whatever happened last night. That 41 points it was it was insane to watch. But it sounds Not like throughout the rest of the year, every time that Evan Fournier has to this point let the Knicks down, it sounds like for you it, it's more just it's it's that mindset. And I'm curious to know like. You know, the, the Knicks, much like the Celtics, like I said, have been somewhat of a, of a disappointment based on expectations. What do you think is playing into that mindset? Is it a team thing, a culture thing? Or, like, where is it coming from, I guess? You know, what's, it, it's interesting you ask that because I think about his, his post-game presser last night, and uh, he was talking – I think he was it was in reference to Julius Randle's 
you know, frustrations and, and how the team has been up and down and they, and they keep getting off to these awful starts out of the gate, almost regardless of who's in the starting lineup. Um, and he talked about how guys will have, like, so, someone will have a night on this night and someone else will have a night on that night when the shot's falling for them here or it's, the shot's falling for somebody else on a different evening. But he was like, we can never get it together on the same night and I don't know if he said it in as many words but the implication is was clear is like th- there is a lack of cohesion there is the, the thing that 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 the, the basketball magic when you watch a team that is just functioning at a high level which you guys have certainly seen over the years and like honestly the Knicks saw last year when the whole is greater than the sum of the parts he was essentially admitting that's not happening here we haven't found that together so you know, I, I'm not even putting the blame mostly on him because you, I mean, look at Randall. You could look at RJ Barrett, who went through a month and a half stretch where he was arguably the least efficient high volume shooter in basketball. Um, you know, and then the, and then the Kemba Walker of, of it all, which is like, I don't even know what to say about Kemba at this point. Um, talk about an up and down season, and our centers have been inconsistent. Everybody's been inconsistent. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if last night's going to be a spark that turns their season around. I mean, ultimately it does come down to these players who are more ball dominant players, Kemba, RJ, Julius, Evan, figuring out how to, how how to share, how to play nicely together. Like, I don't know what, I don't know how you phrase it, but figure out something. I was muted. As a Celtics cover, we've had those same discussions on our side too, like, you know, like it's the same thing. When Tatum's hot, Brown's not. When Brown's hot, Tatum's not. When player X decides to have a good game, everybody else just decides to sit there and let it happen. No cohesion. Uh, same thing. And But the difference is, like, you guys seem to really get geared up for very specific games. Like, you've played we've, – we, we've seen these two teams, the Celtics and Knicks, play each other three times this season at this point. Each time I've came away thinking – how are the Knicks where they are, and how is their record what they what it is when they when they consistently put in an effort like this? So obviously, there's that rivalry, that division well, rivalry as well. But I I think, but I, to me, it's like the the effort has been there. It's not a matter of who they're playing. I mean, granted, national TV Randall has kind of become a thing um, <laughs> where he if it, you can actually look at uh, somebody sent this to me a week or two ago. If you look at his numbers, his averages in national TV games versus all other games, it's, it's almost like two different players. Um, for me though, it's much more about within games, because again, you're talking about an effort level that the Knicks came out with last night. Well, it's the same team that went down by 25 points. And like, yes, I'm not sir. saying the Celtics, I'm not saying the Celtics didn't play well. And, and, and cause they did, they were, they were moving the ball. They were defending well, but like that was, that was maybe 50, if anything, maybe like 60% Celtics, 40% Knicks. I mean, the effort that they came out of the gate with and just some of the, the what I call it a lack of urgency, a lack of poise, a lack of whatever you want to say, that has been present in at least one stretch of literally every game they've played this year. Sometimes, most of the time it happens in the first quarter. Occasionally it's happened in the second half. It almost always happens with the starting five, though. Um, and that's why that's where the frustration lies. And that's why you hear a lot of, I don't know how much you pay attention to Nick's Twitter, but you know, there's always calls for, you know, for a while it was like bench Julius for Obi, you know, in some, in some corners of the fan base. Now it's like, you got to start Emmanuel quickly because lo and behold, anytime, and Emmanuel quickly to his credit 
He's tw- I think I looked it up last night. He's 26 in the league and plus minus um, out of, you know, whatever, 500 some odd players. Like good things happen when he enters the game. And yet you have different guys go into and out of the starting lineup. Like Derek Rose was the plus minus God here for the better part of a whole season. They put him in the starting lineup. What happened? It just, he goes down with the ship. It's just, they can't figure out how to get those pieces to me- to mesh from the opening jump until the end of the game. Can we talk about RJ Barrett for a minute here? Because I think he's a guy that I'm having you're gonna I love in trouble. reaction to it. <laughs> well, he's you're going to get, that... get me in trouble. That's all. He's someone I have a really hard time getting a read on because I like him. I like RJ Barrett. He's a guy that I think has a lot of potential. And, you know, this year it feels like it's certainly been a bit of a regression. You look at last night. He hits the big game-winning shot. He has six points down – or, excuse me, I think he had four points down the stretch plus that alley-oop to Mitchell Robinson, yep. you know, in a, in a big spot. So, he's, so he played a huge role in the ultimate outcome with a pretty overall disappointing night really up until that point. And that's been kind of his season. I think when, when I look at the Knicks, I've been, I always check in. I have, you know, I'm from Boston. I live in Austin, Texas now, but I got a lot of good friends. I lost a bet last night. So I might be in a Julius Randle jersey on one of these podcasts coming up soon. <laughs> Not on this and podcast, you won't be. No, it might be the other one, man. I don't know. I, it was, I had, it, had it all set up. He has a son coming this weekend. He was going to be in a Celtics, you know, beanie when he's born. It was perfect. It was set up and it all fell apart as we know. But You know, R.J. Barrett is a guy that I've had a real hard time. I think he's such a crucial piece to who the Knicks are now and into the future. And I'm curious to get your take on where he is and where you think he can go and in his future with the team. Well, okay, let me start by saying where he is right now. Like, it's it's so – I don't even know how to answer that, and here's why. Two nights ago – or excuse me, I guess three nights ago now. The the last game the Knicks played before Mm -hmm. they played – um, the Celtics. He goes in against an Indiana team that has, I mean, say what you want about Miles Turner. He's, he's not the best defensive center, but he is leading the league in blocks. And, like, you know, he can kind of influence what you're doing. Um, they also got Sabonis. Like, R.J. Barrett went in and had, I actually would go so far as to say, his best game in terms of finishing at the rim that he's had in his entire career. He was an absolute master of every aspect of his craft. I think he was like something like eight for 11 or something on twos in the restricted area. Um, I mean, he just like the, 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 the dribble was nice. The finishing was nice. Like he was patient. His footwork was exquisite. Everything top notch. And then you watch that same player, allegedly that same guy didn't, 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 it wasn't like a face-off situation where, you know, John Travolta, Nick Cage uh, swapped bodies. Although, Maybe it was. I don't know. Because the player that I saw last night, and as we've seen a lot this season and last season and his rookie year, was a guy who looked like he – it was the first time he was ever shooting a basketball around a rim. Like, And look, Robert Williams, amazing defensive presence. I would, You could probably argue that he's better than Turner when they're both at their best. But, like, it was so far from what we had seen um, – the previous night, and he had been good for a couple games actually before the Indiana game, where he'd been finishing well. And he went through a stretch earlier this season, four, four or five games in a row, really good. And then in between, it's like a guy. He just like I don't know how you guys feel. To me, I I watch him try to finish sometimes in these games where he's not finishing well, and it looks like a guy who is is like it's so ugly. It makes you feel like he's never going to get better at that aspect of his game. And I and I single that out because to me how he does around the rim with his size 
and and how crafty he can be and how good he can be finishing, that's going to determine his ceiling as an NBA player because I think the, the jump shot's going to be fine. I think he's going to be fine on defense long term. To me, it's can you be something like 85% of Jimmy Butler from 10 feet around the rim and in? Because if you could be that, then you can be a fringe all-star, you know, um, if, if things break right. Uh, but, like, it, it's, it's just been a very inconsistent year. That's all. And, I, and at this point, like, to answer your question about what he's going to be long-term, I don't know. I don't know because we haven't seen enough consistency for, for anybody to make that assessment honestly. Okay, so now, while we're talking about inconsistent play, not knowing where a ceiling is, not understanding what the hell a guy is doing in terms of his own development, basically, we're just so very used to seeing somebody show us great flashes and then real bad moments. That's pretty much an entire roster of Celtics players right now. And as an outsider, I, I, I really want your take on where, like, you what you're watching the game last night. You've seen the Celtics minimum two other times this season. More than that. I probably watched him about, I don't know, eight, ten times. Yeah. My condolences, man. Um, <laughs> well, what are your takeaways, man? If you were to, like, if someone was to say to you, like, they've, they've just came from a demon portal from, I've been playing World of Warcraft, the demon portal from hell, and they're like, yo, I want to know what, can you tell me, can you fill me in on the Boston Celtics right now? What would be your key points to let them know this is what to expect? I mean, I, so you know from when we used to podcast together how high I am on Jason Tatum. I had him whenever – I forget what the age was where we were like 23 and under or 24 and ever, whatever, whatever it was at the time. And I had Doncic one and I had Tatum two. And, and I, don't, I don't know that I could say that anymore. I feel like maybe – and again, I don't have everybody's ages in front of me, but I feel like um, I probably put Donovan Mitchell ahead of Jason Tatum now at this point in terms of hierarchy, I guess Devin Booker too, right? Although Booker's a little older. Um, but like Tatum to me is still in like the top five guys in terms of like, you know, young, quote unquote, young stars in the league. And like last night to me, he showed it. I just, I just think maybe is Jalen Brown, who again, my impression of Jalen Brown is a guy who is immensely skilled and immensely talented but is he the right guy to play off of Tatum? That's my impression from the outside and also paying attention to like Celtics Twitter and like reading stuff about the Celtics and like seeing highlights and whatnot. I don't know. Am I, am I completely off base? I don't know. No, you're pretty, I mean, you're pretty much there. I mean, the one thing that I'll tell you this stat and I told Will the other day, so it's not a new stat for Will. If I told you that Jalen Brown had as many assists as he does career, as he does turnovers for his career, how, how yeah. would you be surprised? Well, no, because I think that's. But then again, but again, like Jason Tatum, I'm, 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 I'll get back to Brown in a second. But like Tatum can pass, right? He he can pass, but he like if you have Jason Tatum on your team, you want Jason Tatum to like do what Jason Tatum does very well, and that's like make make really incredible plays with the basketball, usually towards the rim. I, and I feel like to have a guy next to him who's an actual who's a worse passer or a less willing or less aware. I don't know what it is with Brown. I don't I don't watch enough basketball of them. But like that's that to me maybe is the is the issue. And I look back through recent NBA history. When have two guys, neither of whom is a really top level playmaker for others, when when have those pairings worked long term? I don't I don't really know if there is one that we could point to and say like. 
yeah, this this gives me hope for these two together. Yeah. So here's that, what, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was I was going to ask you anyway, Will. I was going to ask you this question, and then I'll get John to loop in yeah. with his answer as well. You've got another team in the Eastern Conference with two players with very similar skill sets, right? And you've got Demantis Sabonis, Miles Turner, very similar type of like you know yeah. shooting big men that like to play above the break, blah 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 blah. And that's not working right now. Hasn't worked. They've tried multiple multiple iterations of that roster. You then come and swing your eyes around to Boston, and it feels like they're closer to the Pacers than they are to the Nets or they are to the Bucks. Bucks probably being a more logical because they didn't sell their soul to get their own players. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's very accurate, unfortunately. And it's it's kind of one of the things, like to your point, Jonathan, of like where have you seen these these two wings? And I kind of look a little bit so to the to the Bulls and then also the Clippers. And let me kind of explain why. And I'm not saying that those have worked, but just as other examples of two wings being your your main dominant players, your one A and your one B or your one and two, however you want to label it. And you know, I've always said that once it became apparent the Jays were going to be the pillars of the Celtics, let's look to the Clippers and see what works and what doesn't work. And we need to learn from that as far as how they're building around Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You know, I think Tatum and Brown, similar guys. You know, obviously you can you can t- talk about the differences, but generally kind of two-way wings that you want to build around. And you look at what the Bulls are doing, and you look at how they have Vucevic, and they have Lonzo Ball, and they have these other surrounding pieces that are, you know, for me, I, they're, they're exceeding my expectations going into the season. I thought they'd be better. I thought they'd be good. I think they'd be a one seed, you know, getting close to, to halfway through the season. And for me, that's why I thought it was interesting when Adam brought up the the Pacers. And for me, I'm curious if a guy like Sabonis could be a Vucevic. Now, how we get him, I don't know. Bunch of draft picks, Rob Williams. Maybe I don't. I don't know what that pathway looks like. But to your point, I'm trying to figure out how do you make the Jays work and maybe accentuate it. Where we've talked a lot of playing through bigs and maybe having a guy like Sabonis could that be something that's an answer? You know, I'd love to hear just you know off the cuff maybe what your thoughts would be on something I, like that. I mean, so you're basically talking about adding Sabonis to the two of them? Yeah, I mean, um, how you get there, I'm not sure if that's even, you know, an option depending on what the Pacers want, but in theory, yes. I, I, so, so to me, you're basically talking about having Sabonis be your point center, right, in, in that scenario, because, like, it's, it's interesting you brought up Kawhi and Paul George. You know, like last year, Kawhi and Paul George both averaged over five assists a game. Um, you know, you bring up DeMar DeRozan and, and um, uh, Zach Levine. Like, Zach Levine came up as a point guard. DeMar DeRozan was like, had like seven assists a game for, for San Antonio. He was running point forward. Like, these guys are maybe, maybe passing isn't their bread and butter, but like, they can do it at a really elite level. And I think in Tatum, we have a guy who can do it, maybe not at an elite level, maybe not even at close to elite level. And then in Brown, do you have a guy who can – can he do it – like to your, to your stat that you just quoted, Adam, can he do it at all? So I don't know that adding a player at that position, the center position, to try to, I, you know, divvy up – I don't, I don't know, to like direct you off. I don't know, is, is, that the, is that the cure-all here? I just – I'm just fascinated by Brown because to me, Brown – I mean, he, what did he have, 50 a couple nights ago? He's a guy – to me, I think pretty clearly it could be a number one scoring option on a team. I don't know what the trade is or if there is a trade out there, but like to to like to really try to get something um, for you know for, I mean God, 
like I, this is I, I, again, you're talking, we're talking off the top of our heads here. Right. So like, if you, I don't know if they would send him to Sacramento, but like, could you get the Kings to give up both Fox and like an unprotected first round or like, forget about Fox. Can you give that, get them to give up Halliburton and like a future unprotected first you know, like I would, um, I, I, and again, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be very clear here. Jalen Brown's not nearly as, or sorry, Jalen Brown is much better than Tyrese Halliburton and, and Darren Fox, but just in terms of a fit issue to pick up an extra asset issue, I, if it were me, I would wonder maybe about something like that. And then there's obviously the, you know, the Ben Simmons of it all, which I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know how I feel about Ben Simmons. So I don't, I don't know how, I'm not going to ask you how you guys feel about that, but like, I don't know. I just, I, I would, and I'm not saying that's a move you make now, but I wonder if it comes to the offseason, like, is it time to at least kick the tires? Because, what, he, he's only got two more years left on the extension, right? And then he's a yeah. free agent? Yeah. yeah. After this year, yeah. So if you're, the Knicks, this year, yeah. if you're the Knicks and you're like, right, we need a number one scoring option because we our number one scoring option has not been working right now. What are what are we giving you? Well, this is what I'm about to ask you. This is what I'm about. You're the Knicks guy. What do we have that you want? We don't have anything good enough to get Jalen Brown. See, that's what I wanted to hear. Now we can move on. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, any Knicks fans who are listening to this. Yeah. I just, yeah. I'll put you in a position there. I'm sorry. No, moving I'll, on. I'll, I'll always be honest. I don't care. <laughs> but that's how, that's how a lot of Celtics fans feel when they're talking about moving on from Jalen Brown. It's like a lot of people expect to get back a like tier two star. But a lot of people are starting to view Jalen Brown as that tier three type option for the Celtics. You know what I mean? So it, it's it's really hard finding where that value would be. Like you know, I, I, I think no. I I, I was gonna say I, I think it's tricky because like it. You know, if a team is trading for him to be their you know quote unquote number one option, like what does a team that has Jalen Brown as their number one option look like? And I think you could find examples throughout the years of like teams being pleasantly surprised with that answer. Like, I don't know. Is Zach Levine still technically a number one option on Chicago? I, I guess so. I don't know. Yeah. It's like in between, but like, there's a guy who like, if you told me this is the way Jack Levine's career tra- trajectory was going to go three or four years ago, I would have been like, no way. And here he is. And he's, you know, one of the, uh, at the very least two most important players on the best team in the East. Um, you know, so there may, maybe there's still some growth from Brown to come, but I also, if I was a team that would pay the, pay what I have to imagine, um, uh, Brad Stevens would ask for like, oh boy, you'd have to be pretty confident to feel like this is, this is a, this is the guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can't lie, Jonathan. Ever since you brought up Halliburton, you've, you've awakened the, my third eye here. And like, I'm just going through, you know, different I, trade scenarios. Just, and like, it's, it's honestly one I hadn't thought, cause I think everyone defaults to, Oh, is, is there a Brown and a Fox trade? And you know, there's like, you got the, you got the Fox Halliburton Mitchell, whatever they're doing in Sacramento yeah. backcourt. And so there's some move to be made. And, you know, it, it made me start thinking about, you know, what about a, a Halliburton, a pick, and then for salary you have to put in, whether it's Heald or Barnes or something like that. I know Adam absolutely hates Buddy Heald, so yeah, he, would prefer be Barnes. he would prefer Barnes. And, and I'm fine with that, but I, but I do think, like, hey, that's actually an interesting idea that, you know, talking to somebody like you who's, who's not in the weeds with the Celtics like we are, that's an idea I've never thought of. And it's, and it's actually one that, 
I don't know. Maybe it does have appeal because we're all just trying to, just like the Knicks, we're trying to grasp at straws here with like the assets we have and figure out what are the answers. And they're really hard yeah. to figure out. Yeah. And, and I mean, the difference is like, you, you know, you, both of those guys are premium assets. Like the Knicks right now have Julius Randle, who's. What Julius is Julius Randall an asset on his on his new extension? I, I don't really think he is. Uh, not right now, at least. Yeah, um, and you know, and then like our best our best nominal asset after that is RJ Barrett, who I just got done talking about. Like, you know, I wrote today for my newsletter. I was like, you know, somebody asked me in a, a mailbag question, like, what do you think? What would you give RJ Barrett in, in an extension? And I had trouble even getting to like a hundred million dollar number. You know, mm-hmm. even even o- over. You know, I I think he's going to get like north of twenty million, at, you know. But is he worth that? Like, I don't know. Mikal Bridges just got north of twenty million dollars a year, and that dude is the third or fourth best player on our finals team. Can RJ Barrett be that? We haven't seen it yet. Um, you know, so it's it's just really tough to talk about assets from a Knicks perspective and and what they're gonna what they're gonna get, which is why I kind of just want to like my whole thing this season has been like let's focus on us and get us <laughs> right. And then we could start to figure out how we how we make it um, you know better from the outside. You sound like so you're I'm trying gonna... to save a marriage. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm in a very unhealthy. Re- I've been in a very unhealthy relationship with this team for for thirty years. How'd you do it, man? Because like this is like I, I'm struggling at like six weeks of this type of play, and I'm like, yeah, I'm done, bro. They need to figure this out. Like I remember uh... speaking to you during the first lockdown where you're like, dude, the Knicks are so bad. I've been covering basketball when I haven't seen any basketball for nearly 130 days. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah I like, no, I, I remember. <laughs> it was rough. But um, no, I mean, it, look, this team's in my blood. I don't know. I don't know. It's healthy or other, otherwise. Uh, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. So let's wrap it up and just say that the Knicks are playing the Celtics again today when everybody's listening. If anyone's listening on Sunday, they played them yesterday. So at this point, you might as well just skip. Um, what's your prediction? Do they tie up the season series 2-2? Or did the Knicks go 3-1? Um, I'd be surprised if the Knicks won this game. Um, I am. I think it'll be close because these teams always seem to play close games. Uh, but I would be surprised if the Knicks went into the Garden and and won the game because look, if we're being honest, the Celtics were the better team last night, um, and they just kind of got a little uh, whatever you want to call it, sloppy, lazy, lackadaisical. Um, and I still don't expect. So, well, actually, you know what? Let me give. Can I give one caveat? If Kemba plays. I, I'm a little bit more hopeful, and yet there's a part of me that is like, if Kemba plays, I don't even know if I should be more hopeful because, again, we haven't <laughs> seen it. And and that and that's not a comment against Kemba. That's a comment with how Kemba has fit with the other pieces on the team. But I, if you're asking me to predict right now, no, I don't think the Knicks will win this game. I think uh, the season series will be will be tied up. Well, what's your prediction, my guy? Well, first of all, Knicks and Celtics fans, just with the, your mindset and the way that you're talking about this team, we feel like one and the same. 
we feel like long lost brothers during the season because every, almost everything you're saying can somehow be you know transcribed to something about the Celtics. Uh, I think the way the Celtics have operated this year, when the sky's falling, they find a way to get a win in a game that they they probably shouldn't win or or the team feels like we shouldn't win. So of course, what are they going to do? They're going to probably have a, I think a definitive game where it's like, see, this is a team that we we can be, and then we're going to go right back and revert to who we've been the last the rest of the season. So I think the Celtics pulled this one out, uh, but I don't, I you know. It, it is what it is. I would like to say that, Macri, you seem really relaxed and chilled, and I know you're at work, but uh, we need more of that happy energy, man. That, that laughing all the way through. I, listen, that was as good a win, even with the, the Randall stuff that I don't know if has really hit your guys' radar yet. Today. Oh, thumbs down. It definitely has. Yeah, the, the thumbs down. <laughs> um, even with that, I, I think this was the best win, win of the year. Uh, I feel good about it. I'm enjoying it. I just like I've accepted the fact that like they're they're they're, they're not gonna like tank this year. They're gonna go for it this year, and I'm, I'm I'm I want that. I'm on board with it. I want them to try to whether they get the tenth seed or the eighth seed or the whatever seed. Um, I I would like to see what they could do if they make one more run. And who knows? You know what? It, crazier things have happened than a team like this. With because here's the thing I will say about the Knicks: they have talent. There's real talent on this team up and down the roster. No elite talent, but like one through ten, they have real talent. Um, and if they could just figure it out, um, I, I, I'd be more excited. Maybe this, maybe this game gets them started on the path to figuring it out. I, I don't know. We'll see. I think we can leave it there. The one thing I will say is uh, we've done all three of us have done very well to minimise the Imayudoka discussion. Uh, I'm pleased with all of us. I think we all deserve a pat on the back. Uh, <laughs> John, man, thank you for joining us. Before any, before you go, I feel like everybody needs to understand where they can get more Macri in their lives. Oh my goodness! Yeah, why wouldn't you want more of this? Uh, you <laughs> could go to, you could go to uh, my Twitter account. Uh, what is it? JC Macri MBA. Uh, just search Nick's Film School. Nick's Film School uh, podcast. Nick's Film School YouTube channel. Nick's Film School. What else we got? Patreon. Nick's Film School on T Public. As I'm wearing right now. Uh, yeah, but uh, I think that's it. Uh, but thanks for having me on. This, this was a lot of fun to reminisce about uh, one of the few bright spots of our year. Oh, look, that uh, smile's your... coming back now. That <laughs> smile's coming back now. At your, exp- at your expense. So it's, it's good. I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> nah, it's all good, man. Thank you for joining, man. And uh, we'll do, a, we'll do, I'll be on your podcast again soon. You're, yeah, it's, it, it's your turn to come on mine now. Yeah, I got you, man. Anytime you want. Appreciate right, it. Take John. care, guys. Be well. Right, man. man. Take care, Jonathan. So it's just uh, myself and Will. We're going to just round this out with some of our own thoughts at this point. I feel like we need to just kind of get a few more things off our chest. So, is, John, is, this, is this the unloading on Ime Adoka part that you just talked about us avoiding? <laughs> no, no, no. We're going to we're, we're going to have a discussion. First okay. of all, I want to let everyone know that Jonathan Macri does great work. Make sure you go follow him. He's a true, true funny guy. When he, he seems rather subdued, I think works getting him down. He's too too busy partying with the hangover. That's what that is. Um, so yeah, dude. Let's uh, let's get into it. You you texted me this morning and called him Mister Mister Nylong. Yeah. So uh, he's he's no longer Yamadoka. He's, he's Mister Nylong. I, I I just man, you know, we talked at the very beginning, Adam, about ruining your day. It ruined my night that game last night. And you know, I rewatched parts of it this morning. And there's there's certainly more parts that you can you can put on the players that I that I probably you know in the heat of the moment last night chose to overlook, but. Man, just the the most consistent 
pitfalls of this season seem to keep coming back to the same themes over and over and over again, and then the same tired quotes and lack of, you know, taking responsibility for the words that you're using are happening again and again and again. And it all goes back to Mr. Nia Long. And I know we talked about cutting down on this type of talk. It, 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 it's at a boiling point. We, we briefly touched on it with, with Jonathan last night. I think it hit a boiling point with a lot of Celtics fans. And I think it's rightfully so, you know, he's, he's been a bad coach. He's been a bad coach this year. Doesn't mean that that's going to be my opinion of him now and for, or forever. It's not my forever opinion. He absolutely can change that. But I think through, you know, what, almost half a season, he's been an absolutely bad coach. And I don't think there's any other way to define his tenure thus far. Yeah, I think for me, it's more along the lines of he, as a coach, I don't feel like I can say he's been a bad coach because I'm not there day to day. But I think that his coaching decisions and his coaching style just are not what I would have wanted personally. Like, you know, at the end of that, and people who follow me on Twitter have seen me going back and forth with people about this all day uh, on Friday. You cannot run three non-shooters in a, in a closing five down the stretch of a close game. You cannot take away that space. And this is my, this is 2022 basketball, not 1995 basketball. You Spacing is one of the most sought-after commodities of an NBA offense, in my opinion. I believe that, you know, if, if you want to attack the rim, guess what you need? You need spacing. Right now, one of Udoka's comments was like, hey, I'm running Schroeder, um, Smart, and Tatum because that gives me free ball handlers on the floor. But it also allows the defense to load up on the strong side so you never get that driving kick out to the Jalen Brown in the corner or out to the Jalen Brown in the wing because the defense know that's coming and they're going to take that away. Sure, someone's going to have to stick with Jalen on the weak side. I get that. But that still leaves four other guys. And if you're fifth, if you've got, if you're starting, if you go in Marcus Smart, Dennis Schroeder, Robert Williams, Jalen, and Jason, no one's really going to care about Robert above the break. They're going to drop to protect the rim. So they can kind of load up towards the strong side a little bit and just kind of watch their six to make sure they don't get back cut. And then you've got basically a three man wall stopping you hitting the paint before you kick that rock. So I, I, if that's why Udoka's running that system and if that's the plan he has to let these three kind of dictate the way the offense flows between themselves, and we saw some good ghost screen catch-and-shoot threes off Marcus Smart. He hit two of them. He missed four of them. Hit two, you yeah. know? But at the end of the day, if you had the spacing, you wouldn't need to rely on in uh, that interchangeability as much. You could run some actual basketball. Yeah and get something done. So definitely his coaching decisions, his rotations, his minute management, all been poor. Um, and for me, it's the fact that it seems to be everybody else's fault except his. That's where my biggest contention point lies. I mean, I assume either you watched or read some of his his post-game press conferences, his quotes yes, from sir. last night. Yes, sir. And those were maybe some of the most infuriating, you know, comments I've heard this season. You know, we've talked a lot about he preaches accountability, but to your last point, he rarely takes accountability for his own shortcomings or his coaching staff shortcomings. Uh, there was one quote where he had last night about, you know, a lack of leadership on this team, which... I think many could argue a lot of times that comes from the head coach, but maybe not. But I think that is potentially something where uh, an area where it could come from. He talked about, you know, pausing the momentum, the pace of play to, to run and call a play. And 
You know, there's part of me inside that just screams out leadership and coaching, calling plays. That is basically the foundation of what a coach does. And you're you're openly saying right now that that needs to come from the players and not and not from the coach. And there's something that's just not correlating and I don't get it. And I, I really struggle to understand some of these quotes matching up with with, you know, his actions and what's happening. And it's, I don't I don't know, man, Adam, I'm, I'm I honestly spent a lot of time last night after that game ended. Uh, TNT broadcast went right into the I think it was the Clippers and Suns and half of that game was on my screen and I was on Twitter the entire time reading and watching every press conference I, I didn't want the whole game I watched half of that game without actually watching it because I was so infuriated and couldn't stop hate reading Twitter and all of the stuff that was coming out from that game last night I I'm at a breaking point and you know Ime has broken me with a lot of the stuff that that's been going on with him so I completely understand where he's coming from in terms of the players are the ones on the floor. They're the ones that feel the defensive adjustments. They see the defensive uh, changes. So they understand how a defense is playing them from minute to minute. Having a guy there that can call plays, fantastic. Having a guy there that can calm the ship and start dictating. That's one of the reasons LeBron James is so effective even when he's having an off night. Mm-hmm. is because he can dictate the way his offense runs. Player-led teams, I'm completely fine with that to an extent, but the best coaches are the ones that call plays on the sidelines. You used to always hear Brad Stevens sh- shouting stuff. You know what I mean? You you see Mike Budenhoser walking up and down the sideline, calling out sets, you, you know, hand signals, hand gestures to the main ball handler to open a play. So when he's like, do I need to call a timeout and draw up a play? Shouldn't you already have kind of five or six go-to plays for late-game situations in the bank that you've drilled into your team that you have a hand signal for? Shouldn't that, like, isn't that a prerequisite of high-level coaching? <laughs> that you're like, right, let me go to the playbook. We've worked on this. We, we, we've drilled this all through training camp. This is how we close out these type of games, right? We're going to go horns, flare with a back cut that ends up in somebody jumping on a rocket and doing some Space Jam stuff. Like, just... You know what I mean? Like seriously, like I feel like there's just there's a lack of pre- preparation from Udoka's mm-hmm. part, and part of this is because he's a rookie coach, and I'm all for giving yep. him enough of a learning. And that's, and that's a fair, and that's a very fair point for him that he that needs to be accounted for. But at the same time, like you're not giving rookie players opportunities to grow and succeed. So what makes you think the fan base is going to give you that time to grow and succeed when we see you're not giving your because you got to understand, man, like. One of the biggest problems for the Celtics right now is outside of Jalen Brown, Robert Williams, uh, Jason Tatum, there's not really many tradable assets. And if you want to there develop isn't. those tradable assets, you have to give them an opportunity to grow. Yeah, and you're not 100%, doing that. 100%. And, and 100%. I think there's some sour grapes there as well when you're, talk, when you're putting non-shooters on the floor down the stretch. And, and Aaron Neesmith, who has been poor this year, so I do understand, isn't on the floor at any point. Or you know, there's just up. There's well, well, here's the thing. He even he even talked about in one of his other quotes of you know he's okay with Marcus and Dennis taking these these shots when they're open, and then he caveats it with no one's really shooting the ball well except for Josh Richardson and Grant Williams. And guess how many minutes the two of them played combined last night in the fourth quarter, Adam? I'm going for thirty. Zero. Oh, you meant oh, sorry, in the, in the fourth meant, quarter. Sorry. Oh no, sorry. yeah, Just sorry. I quarter. thought you meant combined as in their minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roughly, like, that was about right. That was about right for the. I apologize. I take back my emphatic reaction. That was correct for the game, but for the fourth quarter, they played zero minutes combined. 
So it like it it's like you're I don't understand how you can make that comment, but then in and the game you not don't play, play don't... You, yeah, that doesn't yeah. correlate. That doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And you know, you talked about like with Schroeder out there, like you can you can somewhat rationalize, you know, in a way, I guess, that of having that lineup, but as many times as we've seen it not work. Like you have to do something different because you're also negating your second best player by the way that they're utilizing JB just being kind of off in the corner, drifting in the wing. He had zero shot attempts after the last eight minutes and 43 seconds of that game last night. Yes, you can put some of that on the players and maybe not finding him. And certainly there's that that clip going around of Marcus Smart missing him on that that wide open uh, swing pass where he, he should have had him with about five seconds left on the shot clock. I think about minute something left in the game. But part of that's got to be on the coaching that you're not getting your second best player who's an all-star that had 50 points two games ago, had 50 points two games ago, and he gets zero shots the last eight minutes and 43 seconds. That can't all be on the players. There has to be a coaching aspect to that as well. Yeah, you're just basically saying your your gravity is going to be what opens it. I don't look, look man. <laughs> uh, honestly, honestly, I just I just don't get it. Um, yeah, I think at this point. You know, we've kind of we had some good laughs with John. We've we 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 spoke about some value, and I feel like me and you could really just go on for another hour like this. So I'm gonna call it because it's Saturday. It's Everyone's over. probably it's over. Yeah, I'm gonna call it. So before we go, if you like this podcast, make sure you hit those five, those five stars. They turn gold. Make sure you scroll down. You write Adam, Will, and Greg when they're not upset. They're very good podcasting people. When they are upset, they're still very good podcasting people. If you don't use an Apple device. Then my man Will, who's had time to recover from the disappointment more than I have, is going to let you know what you need to do next. So when you're out today and you're trying to you know, regain your composure, maybe you're at the nail salon. Maybe you're out getting a massage, a, fe- uh, a, you know, a, a pedicure, a manicure. You're out there doing some yoga. Make sure you tell all of those people around you in your life, number one, namaste. Number two, go check out the Celtics Blog Podcast with Adam, Will, and Greg. You won't regret it. You may regret watching the Celtics, but you won't regret listening to this podcast. I never regret recording the podcast. <laughs> Disrespecting you hate is I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all attesting my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the majors. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne.